0: that He has not only prepared a place for us, but He's prepared a way for us to make it to that place. Messages to whosoever will, and this hour that we're living in now, people's time is running out, and uh, deciding where they're going to spend eternity should be the first, foremost thing on everyone's mind. I say deciding and preparing for where you're going to spend eternity should be the first and foremost thing on everybody's mind. Amen. Amen. There's not much of this world left. Really not. Not much of this world left. It should not be a hard choice. really shouldn't. Because if you choose this world, you're not going to get much of it. Amen. But if you choose the world to come, that's eternity. Ever and ever. And I... Trust today that the Word of God, and the Spirit of God, your conscience and your good reasoning, your sense of values would help you Uh, today, even while you sit and listen to the Bible lesson, to make up your mind that the best thing for you to do with the rest of your life is to live it for the Lord. Get things straightened out. Get things ready. Prepare to meet God. We're going to soon meet Him. We're going to soon meet Him. We're going to soon meet the Lord. Amen. Say to yourself, I'm soon going to meet Jesus. Just say it to yourself. Going to soon meet the Lord. I am soon going to stand before him. Amen. Whether we're ready or not, we're going to meet the Lord. And it's so important. And nobody can do it for us. Uh, there's people right here in this service today. I'd like to make your decision for you if I could. I' just like to just like to take you and sit you down and get in your brain and tune it and fix it in your heart. praise God the way you just go ahead and turn your life over to God. I can't do that. God won't let me. God won't even do it. God won't even do it He could, but he won't. but he calls us and he draws us and I would that somebody here today would love God enough and believe the word of God strong enough that you'd say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn it over to God. I want to go to a scripture that I've quoted many, many times, many times, preached from it a lot of times, but I want us to look at it, uh, a portion of it in depth this morning in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse number one, beginning. It says, I beseech you, the apostle Paul is talking, Everyone, let's pray. Pray that God would give you something. Jesus, help us today. I pray for your direction and anointing, God, that we'd be able to help everyone here. Lord Jesus, somehow, God, we could reach out, Lord Jesus, and beseech men. We could persuade them. We could encourage them. Hallelujah. And somehow challenge them to accept the plan of God and to respond accordingly. We need your help. I can't do anything within myself. I pray the Holy Ghost would help us. Save us, Lord, with your word and with your spirit. And we'll praise you. And everyone say in Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated. The, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, of course, there's some other things in there, too. But there's a lot, lot said in that first 11 chapters about the mercy, the goodness, the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, how good God is on the undeserving, and uh, his mercy to the Gentiles, to the Romans. The Apostle Paul testified uh, greatly as to how merciful and good God had been to him and how undeserving he was. And so the early part of the book of Romans Talks about, uh, how God is so good. He is just so very good and He has done so much and given so much and invested so much in us. His sacrifice, His suffering, His death, His, uh, His plan for our redemption, how much He loves us, how hard He tries, how far He reached the extent that He went to, uh, to, to save us and to deliver us and help us. And the Apostle Paul, then standing on 11 chapters of that, he simply looked at the people and looked at all of us. And he says, I, I'm going to now challenge you on the basis of this. Having reminded you of all of God's goodness, having reminded you of where God brought you from, and the opportunity that God has afforded you, and the hope that he's offered to you, I'm going to stand on that, and I'm going to, on the basis of uh, all the investment that God has made in your life, I now beseech you, or I implore you, I gently request of you, and, uh, and uh, a little stronger, I, I pull on you, and uh, I reason with you, and simply say to you that you ought to on the basis of all that God has done and all that God has given and all that God has been to us we ought now to reciprocate we ought to give back to him it's time for us now to to give back to him he said I've talked to you now 11 chapters about the doctrine and uh, how a uh, How it's all put together, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the atonement, the blood, the mercy, the grace, the goodness, God's outreach. Uh, Who Jesus is, I've showed you and told you, Jesus Christ is God Almighty, come to this earth in a body of flesh. And he offered up that flesh for your sins to redeem you, to set you free. That's the doctrine. Now he says, uh, I want to talk to you about the life. You know, there's the doctrine and there's the life. There's Christian doctrine and there's Christian living. There is the, uh, the truths and then there is the truths in operation. There is the doctrine and then there is uh, the doctrine in practice. Now, I, I think that, I think we would be very lopsided either way if all we had was, was doctrine. All that we had was, uh, was the ideas and the religious teachings, and the religious principles, and we were very versed in all of that, but it didn't translate into lifestyle, and dedication, and living the life, and fulfilling the purpose, and being a testimony, and serving God. If it didn't translate into that, and transfer into the operation, you know, you have the doctrine, but you have to have the life to go along with it. Now Jesus did his part. He brought all of this up to this place and prepared it all and got it all in motion. Now the Apostle Paul is saying on the basis of that, having understood that, I want to beseech you to put it in practice. I want you now to do your part. I want to see the fulfillment and I want to see the results of God's investment in your life. Amen? There's, there's one thing to have the power, uh, but uh, not only must we have the power, we must have the product. we got to have the product. We can talk about the power of God, the power, the power, the power, the power. Now Paul says, now knowing the power, what he's really saying, I beseech you therefore, knowing the power, or knowing the mercy, that you now produce the product. That you now present your body, or that you now show forth that this is really working and it is really taking its effect you know we have the roots and then we have the fruits it's it's not enough to have a great root system but a tree must also produce fruit and it's not enough that we would go out and have a tree and just pin apples all over it there's no life there The apples on an apple tree should be a natural result and response and fulfillment of the root system coming on up and it brings forth and this is what it produces. Not artificial, not make believe, it's not paper, it didn't come from somewhere else just to hang there as a decoration. But this was produced by the health and the fruit and the life of the tree itself. It is the natural coming forth and producing and showing forth of that that is down under the surface. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm not going to get real deep and complicated, so don't think I'm going to go off in some long, big old room. I'm not. I want you to follow me carefully. If there is the power, then there needs to be the product. If there is the doctrine... It needs to be reflected in the lifestyle. Amen. If there is the root system, if there is has been invested in us uh, the uh the, the values and the doctrine and the crucifixion and the suffering of Jesus Christ, if He so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son, His own flesh was invested in us to produce this. To bring into being a powerful redemptive salvation plan. Amen. Then the Apostle Paul said on the basis of this. He expects to see some results in our life. And he says it is not unreasonable that he expects this. I don't think it was unreasonable uh, that the, uh, the husbandman came to the garden. And said cut this tree down. Three years I came seeking fruit on it. And there is none. I did everything. And I have a right to expect. I have a right to expect. That there would be fruit on this tree. And if there's no fruit on this tree. The whole plan has failed. It's not a part. Of the process. It's not working. It is not working with this tree. Whatever. Whatever is supposed to work is not working with this tree that tree over there i did the same thing to it and it's producing fruit and over here this is producing fruit i have to work harder on some than others you have to put more fertilize you have to take into account the ground a lot of other adversaries and problems but the end result is that if all of this is done i have a right to expect that there would be fruit on this tree and he said three years I come and I find no fruit on this tree now he said cut it down he is not being mean he is not being unreasonable he is not being hard or harsh when he says cut it down because it should have produced and the reason it was not already cut down is because the one that was tending the garden said please Give it a little more time, and let's see. Maybe it will. Praise God. Let me say to all of you here today, if God has invested grace and mercy and love and care into your life, and as yet, you're not producing that real Christian example and testimony and lifestyle, the power is invested, but the product is not there. You're not producing. Amen. Ask God to have mercy on you and give you time and get busy at it and get started. Amen. And see if you can turn that process around and if you can't come forth with something to show God, impress God, and let God know, amen, that what he's putting in you is not wasted. I encourage you and I beseech you and I beg you in Jesus' name, amen, to consider that it's time for all of us to start showing God that his investment in us is not wasted. Amen. We have the doctrine. Brother Mac if we have the doctrine. We ought to have the life. That reflects the doctrine. Amen if we have been taught. Then there ought to be the results of the teaching. If we know the word of God. Then we ought to reflect the word of God in our daily living. I think that it's. I think that it it, it, we're going to answer on Judgment Day. The Bible said, to whom much is given, much also is required. Thank you, Sister Barbara, for your testimony. She said, in parts of the world this morning, people are persecuted. They suffer because of the name of Jesus. If they try to worship God, they're persecuted. They're punished. Oh, but she said we have the opportunity. Amen, the liberty to pray, to sing, to worship God, to glorify God. Let me tell you, amen, if we are given that opportunity, God expects us to worship Him and praise Him. Amen. If in a little underground, in a little underground dungeon somewhere, or a little basement cell in China, they're gathering this morning to worship, and somebody's at the door They have been telling them don't get too loud because the soldiers will come. And those people are doing the very best they can. That's all that they can do. That's the most that they can praise Him. Hallelujah. And if we walk in here and we just look around and we don't care to worship the Lord. The Bible said to whom much is given. Much is also. It didn't say much is also expected. It said much is also required. Amen. Much as uh, if I have, if I have something to praise the Lord for, and if I have opportunity to praise the Lord, and if I know how to praise the Lord, Amen, then it is required of me that I praise the Lord. I have the doctrine and I have the opportunity, Amen, and there ought to be the results of that manifest in my life. And Paul said, I beseech you on the basis of this. Therefore, you know, it's kind of pivotal. It's kind of like we would take <coughs> a balance, a balanced scale, and on that pivot, this scale would be, uh, you see it sometimes as a symbol of justice, the the scale of justice. You put something over here, you have to put something of equal value over here to weigh it out. Here's the evidence and here's the law, and you have to weigh it out. Here is justice, and here is mercy, and you have to weigh it out. Uh, here is uh, the prosecution, and here is the defense. And you're seeing which way the scale is going to tip. And the Apostle Paul used that word, therefore, as the little point to balance it on. Therefore, knowing the mercies of the Lord, all of these things that God has done for you, Don't you think it's reasonable now that there should be the results? Don't you think it's reasonable that there should be the commitment? There should be the consecration? Don't you think it's reasonable now, amen, that this tree should bear fruit? Amen. The root system and the fruit should naturally follow. The power and if you have the power, you ought to have the product. Amen? If you have the doctrine, you ought to have the lifestyle. The Bible says, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is, he didn't say it's a little weakness or it's kind of slack on his part, he said, to him it is a sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, To him it is a sin. Amen. To whom much is given. Much is also required. Amen. I beseech you therefore brethren. By the mercies of God. Therefore. I beseech you therefore. On the basis of all of this. Therefore. Brethren. By the mercies of God. That you present your bodies. A living sacrifice. Holy Acceptable unto God. Much has been given. It should reflect in our entire lifestyle. If you know the truth, Jesus said, teaching on sacrament and foot washing, He said, if you know to do these things, happy are ye if you do them. And a child of God that knows to do and does not do is not happy. You will not be happy. Amen. If you constantly live contrary to what you know is pleasing to the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. You will not be, you will only be happy if you know to do these things. Happy are you if you do them. And if you live contrary to your own conscience, if you live contrary to that truth that has been planted in your heart, you disregard it. I know, but I don't do. I know better. I I know what I should be doing, but I don't do it. Amen. Then there is that out of balance. And that is that grieving of the spirit. Amen. And the Bible says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his heart shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. It's not a conscious thing. It didn't say he that being often reproved hardens his heart. Or he rejects it and he purposely hardens his heart. He tries to be hard. Didn't say that. It doesn't really require any action on your part at all. If you have to, if you have to be gotten on to, if you have to be gotten on to, and gotten on to, and you should have known, but you have to be gotten on to again and again about your church attendance, about your prayer, about your participation in church. The way you live, the way you dress, the way you act, you constantly have to be fussed at. That by itself hardens your heart. There is something going on inside that you may not even be aware of. The Bible says he that be an often reproved automatically. He that being often reproved hardeneth his heart. It don't say you have to harden your heart against this. No, you don't have to do anything. Just the fact that you have to be gotten on to again and again and again makes you hard-hearted. Makes your conscience hard. Until one day it can be seared to where you say, doesn't bother me. A preacher get up there and preach it doesn't bother me. Pastor get on to me it doesn't bother me. Why that don't no more bother me than nothing. I've been got on to so many times. Do you understand what's happening? <laughs> He's been got on to me so many times it don't even bother me anymore. Do you realize how dangerous that is? I done have had my toes stepped on so many times I just I just go barefoot. That don't bother me. It's like pouring water on ducks back up. The Bible said, he that being often reproved, which means you've been fussed at a lot of times. That hardens your heart. And that could sear your conscience. Until after a while, you could honestly say calmly, without any feelings or emotions, I don't see anything wrong with what I'm doing. I really don't see anything wrong with it. You say, oh, they know better than that. They know, they know better than that. Not necessarily. If the heart is hardened and the conscience is seared, the Bible says the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Can't see it. Just can't see it. Amen. Hallelujah. I think I think we should take it very serious when there's things in our life that we have to be reproved about, have to be corrected about. Amen? If we have to be corrected about our children, about the things that we're allowing in our home, about the way we're acting, talking, dressing, the places we're going, again and again, again and again. And it keeps on happening and we do not change. Something's happening inside of us. Something's taking place there. There is a process as a shutting down, as a shutting down of our mechanism that causes us to be sensitive to God. After a while, we can just stand and watch the end of the world coming. Let them bum the trade centers. Let the airplanes fall out of the sky. Let the prophecy be fulfilled. Let there be signs in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Let all these things happen. Amen. And we'll just boldly wait for the trumpet to sound knowing that we're not going. Or hoping somehow maybe I will go. And we'll just do nothing right on up, right on up to the coming of the Lord. Now, in 120 years, and we're not going to be here that long, but in 120 years... The people in Noah's day, they totally became insensitive and untouched and unmoved by what was taking place when Noah was building the ark. He told them, destruction is coming. It's going to rain. The only safe place is in the ark. God has a plan. If you reject God's plan, you're going to die. If you don't follow God's plan, you're going to be Consumed, You're going to be destroyed. They listened to it. They knew it. They could say it as good as he could. They learned it. But over a period of time, their heart was hardened to it. So much so. Let me show you a parallel here. The Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now, there's a whole lot of things. It says they were married and given in marriage. Uh, They were eating and drinking. Uh, they were unthankful and unholy. All of those are signs. These are the conditions in Noah's day and these are the conditions today. Let me tell you another parallel. As it was in the days of Noah, they heard what he said. They paid no attention to it. They kept on rejecting it until after a while they hardly even paid attention to it. They hardly even thought about it. So much so that the closer they came to the destruction of the less they felt and the less attention they paid. Now, I'm going to prove that to you. Brother Mike, they had resisted and rejected so long. They had hardened their hearts so many times that the Bible tells us that the animals entered into the ark and the door stayed open for seven days after the animals entered into the ark. And nobody went in the ark to join Noah and his family, even though they saw all of these signs fulfilled. And they, they just, they had hardened themselves so long, they had rejected so long, they had put off so long, and they had uh, disobeyed so long that they just couldn't get themselves. Let me tell you, you can't just stand by the side of the road and watch them animals coming by two by two. Never, never did see animals like this. Well, they must be from up in the other province, province or something. Man, look, look at those animals. Never saw, where are they going? Well, they're going down there and getting that boat. That's, that's what Noah said is going to happen. Two by two, said they're going to come in. Yeah. Well, that's kind of got me worried. Yeah. You see that? Yeah, I've been thinking about that too. Amen, man. Yeah. We, maybe we ought to pray. Yeah, and watch them going down there. Going down there. Said you see them elephants come by here? Elephants? I didn't know we had elephants. Yes, sir. Look at them tracks that big right there, right on down. Signs of the end. Signs of the end. That big in the sand. Elephant tracks. Didn't know we had elephants here. Signs of the end. Walking on down there. Where'd it go? Went and got in that boat. Got it. Well, well, I'll tell you one thing. Yeah, Everybody knows it won't be Long. Time's running out. There's no doubt about that. Time's running out. No doubt. Signs everywhere. Getting in that boat. And the door still open. I know what you're saying. Man, if that had been me, I'd have got my babies. I'd have got my children. If my husband didn't want to go, I'd say, come on, children. Yeah, man, if he don't want to go, let's us go anyhow. If my wife didn't want to go, I'd say, woman, Amen. I'm not going to drown with you I'm going to take the kids and we get in that boat you can resist it so long you can reject it so long that you'll absolutely come to the end knowing it's the end and not have the courage or the zeal or the initiative to do anything at all about it absolutely let the whole thing finish up amen and the Bible says they knew not Until the flood came and swept them all away. I sure didn't think it was going to happen to me. I never thought that I would wait too long. I never thought it would happen to me. Amen. It was not that they didn't have the doctrine. They had the doctrine. But they did not let the doctrine translate into a life change. It was not that they didn't have the power. They had the power, but they didn't produce the product. They had the roots, but they didn't produce the fruits. It didn't translate. And the apostle Paul here is saying, I beseech you by the mercies of God. Let me ask you, and whether you ever serve God or not, you're going to have to honor God this one time. How many of you recognize God's mercy on your life? Raise your hand. Amen. You're not joining church, but you do know God's been merciful to you. Amen. No doubt about that. You are convinced. You are very, very convinced that God has been merciful to you. Amen. You're here today because he didn't let you die. You're here today because He didn't let you take a certain turn. You're here today because circumstances in your life were like they were when they could have been another way. The mercies of God. Amen. And God says, on this basis, I have a right to expect something out of you. Amen. And with all of this, we harden our heart, And we resist. And we reject. It is a, is it unreasonable that God expects to see something in return? He invested His whole self in us. How am I ever going? How am I ever going to answer on Judgment Day? How am I ever going to answer on Judgment Day for the fact that Jesus Christ died for me? How am I going to stand there and answer? He gave his life for me. Jesus suffered and died in my place. Jesus paid for my salvation. How am I going to answer? There's only one thing, only one thing that I can do. There's nothing else. The only thing that I can do is say, God, whatever I am, I give to you. Whatever I have, I give to you. Amen. My mind, my heart, my soul, my body, my energy. Amen. I give to you. That's all I can do. I say that's all that I can do. Amen. How are you going to answer to God? If your self will. It's my business how I live my life. Nobody else's business how I live my life. I have a right to do all of this. I don't have to answer. go right ahead. One of these days you are going to have to stand there and be measured by the mercies of God. You're going to have to answer to your response of God's grace and his goodness in your life. Amen. God has done so many things, so many things to help us and to save us. Brother Anthony, I believe one sings that song. What more could he have done? What more could God do What more could God do? I'm going to tell you, the more God does, if we don't respond to it, amen, it just adds judgment to us. Amen? Eternity would have been better. Eternity would have been better for some folks if God had not been so good to them. Y'all listening? Amen. Eternity would have been better for some folks if God had not been so good to them because God would not have expected as much. And Paul here says present your bodies a living sacrifice. Does God have a right to my body? Does God have a right to lay claim to my body? Now let me let me tell you, if there's anyone here today, you're still of that idea that uh, what I do with my body has nothing to do with my relationship to Jesus Christ. If my heart is right and I love Jesus in my heart, he doesn't uh, have any right. He doesn't lay any claim to my body. I want to tell you, you're scripturally wrong. Amen. The Bible says, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Know you not that you're bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not our own. We do not belong to ourselves. When we sold out to Jesus, we became his property. We became his property. He says, in the day that you seek me with all your heart, soul, mind, body, spirit, and strength. Nobody receives the Holy Ghost unless they give themselves to the Lord. Amen? Not just your mind, your spirit. You've got to give your body to the Lord. Our bodies belong to him. Amen? And that's why he said, if any man defile the temple of God which is our bodies. No, you're not your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's talking about this fleshly, visible, earthly human body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God dwells in our fleshly body. Amen? 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 The Holy Ghost is the treasure. The vessel is our body. And we have this treasure... In earthly vessels. Human bodies. Physical flesh and bone body. Is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And it belongs to God. And if this this is a little dry. I'm not troubled about it. Very important. It is very important. It is very important. That we live with this concept. And this understanding. That we appreciate it. And we live our life according to it. We have to know this. Our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. God lays claim to our fleshly, earthly body. And if God has redeemed us and saved us and invested his power and his grace in us and his blood and his suffering. And then he says to us now, I want you to give me your body. I want you to present your Body. present your body everybody say my body but it belongs to him and he said you you're, you're holding back on me your body belongs to me you don't have a right to do what you want to do with your body because it belongs to God and God says I purchased it and your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost And if any man defile the temple of God, him will God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, whose temple you are. You know, it's scary. It's scary that uh, now anytime a jetliner gets off course, anything unusual at all deviate from uh, from the flight plan in any way, there's a couple of F-16s that immediately scoot up in the air with their guns ready, and they get right on the side of that, and pretty quick, they want to know what's going on, because this plane is supposed to be going this way, and if it's going that way, and if an explanation is not going to be given pretty quick, it's going to be shot down, with all of its innocent human beings in it, with that pilot that's flying the airplane. With that, all their luggage and everything, mothers and daddies and little children, they're going to shoot it out of the air because it's on a collision course. They have determined that something is wrong. It's flying. It's, it's targeting a bridge or a building or a capital or an oil refinery or something. And American, American flyers, American military men are going to reluctantly Follow orders and shoot that plane down out of the sky and destroy it. Destroy it because it has deviated from its acceptable course and purpose. Now, if we had had this kind of, of uh, safety in place on the 11th of September, there was plenty of time for either of these two planes to have been shot down before they bummed into the Trade Center's or before they uh, bombed the Pentagon. Uh, we didn't have this in place then. They got there, but it was late. And it's a horrible thing to consider. It's a horrible thing to consider. But the Bible says, I want you to follow this. You say, oh, this is harsh. This is hard. And I think that if uh, if you had a brother or son or daughter on one of those airplanes and an F-16 shot it out of the sky, I think you'd have problems with that, uh, reconciling yourself to that. But that's just how it has to be. It's just how it has to be. This has to stop. And the Bible says, Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, howbeit the Spirit of God dwells in you, and you're not your own. You're bought with the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. Wherefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. And it says, and if any man defile the temple of God, him will God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now this, you say, that just doesn't sound like God. Let me tell you, God is so anxious for the best of us. And he is so horrified, amen, that we reject his plan and we trash ourselves. And he sees that we are on a collision course, not only to destroy ourselves, but to do a lot of damage to others and to bring havoc to the work of God, to hinder the church, to hinder the testimony, to keep other people from being attracted to the truth. Listen to me. To keep other people who would have been saved from coming to God because of the of the shame and the reproach that we bring. Amen. God says, before I allow that to go too far, I will destroy that person. I will destroy them. If any man defile the temple of God, him will God destroy. Does the Bible say that? Does the Bible say that? Well, if that's not what it means, you tell me what it means. That works, The sad truth is I've seen it happen. In 45 years of pastoring and 15 years of living with a pastor before that, I've seen it happen. I have seen people who absolutely refuse to yield their body as a living sacrifice unto God. They insisted that they had a right to do as they pleased with their own body. They insisted that they had a right to dress like they wanted to go where they wanted to, talk like they wanted to, do what they wanted to with their own body. Amen. They defile the temple of God and I've seen them destroyed. I've seen their life be on a collision course. Amen. And they were destroyed. Many of them are dead and gone, filled a sinner's grave. They're on their way to eternity, lost without God. Many of them, I've seen them in misery and sorrow and torment, lived a horrible, horrible life of misery and unhappiness. Because God took his hand of mercy off of him and let them crash. God allowed them to crash. The scripture said, the scripture said, if any man defile the temple of God, him will God destroy. I'm telling you, because of the investment that God has made in us, he has a right to expect that our bodies will present righteousness, holiness, godliness, morality, decency, Christianity, and bring glory and honor to God and not bring embarrassment or shame or reproach. The Apostle Paul said, I beseech you on the basis of God's mercy that you see your body as a temple of God and that you present it in such a way that it will bring glory and honor to God. We do have a responsibility as to how we present Our bodies. Y'all getting quiet out there today. We have a responsibility to God. A responsibility. Is it any of God's business? It's His possession. We belong to Him because He made us. We belong to Him because He bought us. And we belong to Him because we were born of God. And he holds a threefold table title to our entirety. I do not have a right to do as I please with my body. Amen. Oh, by the mercies of God, I am implored, amen, to present it to God holy and acceptable. Everybody say holy and acceptable. These standards that we teach are not Pentecostal church rules, amen, this is God's order for holy acceptable bodies, amen, amen, you say what, what difference does it make if a woman cuts her hair, she loves God, she has charity, she has faith, what difference does it make, because God said that's my body, And he said, It is a shame. And I don't care what Billy Graham or anybody else says about it. God says it's his. And he is shamed even when you put scissors to it. If you shorten your hair, say, Well, I don't cut it. I break it off. I burn it off. I twist it off. I pull it out. You're shaming God when you shorten your hair, sisters. You're shaming God when you shorten your hair. You're shaming God. And your body belongs to God. And God is shamed by it. God is shamed by it. Amen? And I understand. Most people say, well, he's going to get on the women now. Well, let me say, and I say this respectfully, and I'm not going to get graphic. I'm not going to embarrass you. But uh, the truth is, there's really not much to a man's body that uh, that people look at. And so, the temptation for a man to be attractive or suggestive by the way he carries himself, or dresses or undresses his body, is really not a big temptation. So when you talk on presenting your body, we're basically talking about the female body be right. amen because that's where uh, that's that's where the devil works even in the garden of eden uh, god knew that uh, he wasn't going to have i mean the devil knew he wasn't going to have any luck with adam but he said let me go talk to the woman she's a weaker vessel and so whatever i say today i say it with great respect but you do need to understand this and you need to remember it and take it to heart i know that we men are under obligation to present our bodies godly and holy and acceptable also I don't think that uh, I don't think that it is a good testimony I think that it erases what God has been to us if we try to uh, sport around in little uh, t-shirts and muscle shirts and short sleeves showing our big arms or, or your hairy chest I don't know I can't imagine why men want to unbutton their buttons and show their hairy chest. I cannot imagine any sane human being, male or female, that would be attracted to a man's hairy chest. Of course, I, I only look through men's eyes. But uh, so a man has to be decent, and I think a man also, somebody said, what's ungodly about a man's arm? Probably nothing. Amen, but if you start wearing your sleeve short, the women's going to wear theirs short, and there can be something ungodly about that. Amen, so we are supporting the weaker vessels. And I don't say that lightly. It's, we are. We really are. Because there is a temptation. There is constantly a temptation for women to, to uh, show and share their beauty. And the Bible's against that. You know, there's there's a a principle, there's a truth. Let me tell you, there's a big difference in men and women. Men know that women are not attracted by what they see in a man. But women know that men are attracted by what they see in a woman. And that's why the Bible says that If a man looks on a woman, looks on a woman through his eyes, a man looks on a woman with lust, he has committed adultery in his heart already. If he looks on a woman with lust, he's committed adultery in his heart, committed sin in his heart. And somebody said, well, if you look on a woman, you're just as wrong as if you... I took a woman and went out and committed adultery with. no 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 it didn't say that is the same as if you physically committed this sin it's not the same the damage is not the same the fallout is not the same If you look at a woman and lust after her you can go and repent you don't have to go to that woman and say sister I want to tell you I'm sorry I lusted after you I want you to forgive me don't do that that's not part of repentance Amen. Bible said God's not the author of confusion don't go to a man and say, brother, I want you to forgive me because I looked at your wife and I had thoughts and I want, no. If it was in your mind, you take it to God and correct it to God. Amen. But a physical, a physical transgression, a moral sin and transgression, fornication and adultery is much, much more damaging, destroying and ruinous hurts a whole lot more people and it is impossible to ever erase if you had something in your mind you pray put it out of your mind fast and pray until that doesn't happen and doesn't live there amen and lust is gone from you you go on with victory without any residual damage amen without any residual damage but if you physically commit adultery you will never, as long as you live, totally erase the damage that was done. So it is not the same. Right. Having said that, let me go back to my subject. Paul said, present your bodies. Present your body. And I'm going to ask all of you men and women alike to consider right now, what does God expect of me and the presentation of my physical body. What does God expect of me when he says holy and acceptable unto him? He says it's your reasonable service. He's not being unreasonable. He's not imposing on us. He's not being mean to us. When he says, I expect you to present your body in a holy, acceptable way that will bring honor. I've invested my grace and my mercy in your life And this I expect to you, and it is not unreasonable. Present. So ask yourself, what is a godly, holy, acceptable presentation of my body to the Lord? If a man looks on a woman, to lust after her, he's committed adultery in his heart. So any woman that dresses or acts in such a way as to invite A a man's lustful stare has taken her body and made it an instrument of unrighteousness, has made it a tool of the devil, a decoy of Satan. Amen. Amen. To dress in such a way as to invite the lustful stares of the opposite sex you have willingly and knowingly made yourself a decoy of the devil. You've made yourself an instrument of unrighteousness because what you're doing may cause someone to look and lust. Amen. You say, oh, well, it, it, I ain't the one telling to look. I'm not but you have a responsibility to God to present your body. To present your body holy, acceptable. Holy and acceptable. Present your body holy and acceptable. Someone said, well, God's blessed me. God's blessed me with this fine figure, and it'd be a shame for me to try to hide it. Just remember, you belong to God. Your body belongs to God. And He is. Demands that we present our body. No matter how grand it is. That we present it unto him. Holy. And acceptable. Godly. Decent. And modest. Amen. You know. See if I have. Alright. I'll put this in my pocket here. I just, Make sure you see the corner of it. And uh, I got it. I may as well show it. That's a $100 bill. And ain't none of your business whether I have another or not. But I'm suggesting by this that I probably have a pocket full of them, which I don't. But for some reason, i put this up here. You pass by and say, you got money got money. Brother Johnny don't have no $100 in his pocket. Brother Major's dad got money. Got money. Just because I have it doesn't mean that I've got to show it off and make somebody want to sneak around and see if he can sneak it and get it. Amen? Just because you have it, you don't have to be cheap and tacky with it. Just because you have it, you don't have to try to show it. Everybody with any sense knows everybody's got it. Some a little different, some a little different. Amen. But it's cheap and tacky, and it's devilish, and shameful, and harmful, and ungodly, and indecent, and immodest, and it's an insult to God. It hurts the church harms of testimony. It makes it difficult for center people to really believe in what we're preaching. They know we have the doctrine, but we're having trouble translating it into the lifestyle. They know we have the power, amen, but they have trouble recognizing that we're able to transfer this into product. And you can go one place and present your body In the wrong way. And erase a thousand messages. Erase. A hundred testimonies. Of people that's tried to live the life. And tell folks. What's right and what's wrong. Amen. Sure you have. A hundred dollars. But don't stick it in your shirt pocket. Well if I got it. I may as well show it. Because somebody's going to want to sneak around and at the very least if they don't sneak around and try to steal it they're going to come up and say Brother Major I'm running short this week you reckon maybe I could get a 20 I mean they may not really hit on me bad they may not really push hard they may not really really uh come on strong but they're going to feel around and see if maybe I have some more where that can come from now I ain't going to get too graphic if you're smart you'll get it. They'll come around and say, He's got it. And you don't know, mind folks know he's got it. Kind of pride showing it off, yes, you know. That's tacky, that's cheap. That's tacky, that's cheap. Amen. God expects better than that. God expects more than that. Amen. you cut your hair, you've defiled the temple of God. You paint your face put tattoos, do all that. You know, listen, if you've been in the Navy and you got naked gals on your shoulders, be ashamed of it. It ain't nothing for you to go show everybody. There's some guys been tattooed. They got so many girls on their name, they look like a telephone directory. They got so many girls' names tattooed all over them. Your body belongs to God. Amen. You do not have a right to make your, take your body and make it a vessel of dishonor. Amen. Say, well, I got legs, I may as well show them. Tacky, cheap, shameful, wholly acceptable. We have an obligation to present our bodies. Amen. It's either we present our bodies wholly acceptable unto God which is our reasonable service or we defile the temple and set ourselves up for destruction. Why will women wear slits above their knees? Can't make nothing else out of it. They don't wear short sleeves because it's hot. They wear short sleeves to show their nakedness. Not because it's hot. Suggestive flesh. Amen. And they make people sin by looking and lusting. They do. You wouldn't do it if you didn't think nobody would notice. I'm surprised anybody knows. Quit lying. You're lying. You're lying through your teeth. You're lying through your teeth. Amen. When you sit improper, you sit that way, so somebody will notice. When you wear that kind of clothes, you wear that kind of clothes, so somebody will notice. You dress like that, so somebody will notice. And when they notice, they could be tempted. And they could be lust. The Bible says, a man looketh upon a woman. A few years back, let me put this up for y'all. Somebody want to borrow, sure as a world. I'm saying it again. You start trying to show it off, somebody's going to want borrow are they going to want to steal? I went two years ago with my brother-in-law, a lawyer met with a man in Laurel, Mississippi in his home, we flew up there and uh, this man, Pentecostal man, told us a sad, whole sad story we were putting together a civil uh, suit against the the Texas Uh, Department of Corrections uh, wrongful death suit against them. This couple had only been in the church a short time. They went to church in Laurel. They lived out in the country. And we sat there and heard this man's story. Fine young man. His wife, beautiful young lady, hadn't had the Holy Ghost very long. Beautiful young lady, had a picture of her there. And... uh, a black guy was let out of prison on a weekend pass. He was given a weekend pass, and uh, he murdered, raped and murdered this young woman. And I went in the home and saw the, the door that he broke in and the room. And uh, here's what happened. Here's what happened. And the man told the whole story. He said, uh, for several years, I was uh, young that I would uh, pass that house and this before this couple got in church and said this blonde head woman said she would get out and mow the yard and her shorts were so short and she was dressed in such a way that I could not take my eyes off of her and he said that store over there the, the, the yard had a big sloping kind of a gully and up there at the road there was a store and he said, I would hang around that store and I would watch her in her yard back and forth, back and forth. So I wasn't the only one. as so other people stop watching her in her yard. Said her shorts were so short. And said, mow that yard, mow that yard, back and forth. And he said, I got in trouble. I broke in a place and got in trouble and got sent to prison. And said, so I was in this jail. And the whole time I was in that jail, maybe three years, he said, I had that picture of that that woman on that lawnmower. So that's all I think about that woman. I could see her. I could see her short, short, short. And her legs. I just. That's all I could think about. All I could think about. And he said when I came out of prison. I just had that weekend pass. And said so I went right back to that store. And I looked and I didn't see her. And the, the man worked offshore, And he said when nighttime came. Said so I eased down through that pasture. And I went up to that house. And I looked in and I saw her there. And said. All of this that had been living in me for those three years that I couldn't control myself, I broke in that door. And she he stabbed her, raped her and stabbed her. And uh, her husband showed me the trail that she took running to the neighbor's house. Blood, the blood was not there, but he showed me the route that she took and said it was blood all the way to the neighbor's house. And she fell at the neighbor's door uh, screaming and strangling in her blood and died there. And I thought, well... What a what a pity! What an example! What, what how horrible! How horrible it was! This woman was not wearing no short short shorts, and this man himself said that she was so very pretty. Said she just felt like just felt like that uh, she ought to share some of her beauty. Bad mistake that she made. Bad mistake. That's before she came to God, and I thought about that. The devil knows how. The devil knows how to spread lust. The devil knows how to spread sin. The devil knows how to shame and disgrace. Amen. The devil knows what that does to a carnal person. And he looked at her and he couldn't get it out of his eye. Now I'm telling you the Bible says men look upon women. It don't say women look upon it. It didn't say one time that if a woman look upon a man and lust after him, she's committed. It don't say that because man ain't much to look at. If a man puts on shorts, it looks like a couple drive shafts and a U-Join on a tractor or something. So it don't work on a woman that way. But the Bible says man looks upon a woman. And I beg you in Jesus name, women, don't let your body become an instrument of the devil. Amen? Present your body holy and acceptable. Present your body holy and acceptable. Don't make it suggestive. Don't make it scandalous. Say, God, are you pleased with this? This is your body. Amen. Am I going to give occasion to the devil? Am I going to be an instrument of temptation? Am I going to in any way, am I in any way going to encourage lustful spares and evil and wickedness? God's been good enough to us. We owe it to Him. I say we owe it to Him. I say we owe it to Him. Amen. We owe it to Him. We owe it to Him to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable Amen. unto God. Does it make a difference? Amen. It makes a difference whether God blesses us or destroys us. I appreciate God putting up with us so long. Amen. Showing such mercy to us. Amen. Now, everybody in the house ought to respond to that. I I, I don't ask for response to to cheer my preaching on. Amen. but you ought to respond to the mention of the mercy and the grace of God. Amen. you ought to say, yes, he's been good to me. God has been so very, very good to us. Hallelujah. And sometimes we just kind of forget that that's what it's all about. That, well, I go to church and I know I love God, and these other things are not very important. We need to reassess all of that. It is, that's who we are. That's what we are. That's our character. That's our person. That's who we are. My body is my testimony. Amen. What people see. Amen. What people see is the billboard that advertises my religion. I can't, I can't convince you of my doctrine unless I show you my lifestyle. I can't persuade you of the power unless I present the product. Amen. I can't convince you of my tremendous root system if I don't produce the fruit. Amen. I want us all to stand. Mothers, don't let the devil tempt you. Amen. To dress your little girls and your children in a suggestive way. You don't want your child to be an instrument of hell. You don't want your child to be a vessel of the devil. Right. Amen. Keep it clean. Keep it right. Keep it modest and godly and holy. And ask yourself carefully. Am I presenting? You know the reason Elvis Presley swayed and twist and carried on like he did? He was presenting his body... As an instrument of hell to incite and excite Amen the carnal fleshless fleshly animal instinct, the devilish sinful part of human beings. That was his presentation. Praise God. God help us to learn how to present our bodies unto the Lord. Present ourselves holy <laughs> pardon me. Holy and acceptable. I, I just want everybody to come pray this morning. Business Seekers, new people, backsliders, saints, everybody. I want us to come pray and say, God, help me to understand this. Give me the grace and the will and the desire. God, give me the desire where I don't want to do nothing but please the Lord. Amen. Erase everything out of my life that is questionable. Amen. Help me, God, not to take no chance at it. God, if you're going to be insulted and embarrassed, Amen, if your name is going to be shamed, God, help me not to do anything, not to do anything or behave or act in any way. Amen, that's going to cheapen my testimony or myself as the body of Christ. Hallelujah, let's pray. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's talk to God and ask God to help us to fully understand and appreciate this this morning in Jesus' name. hallelujah, hallelujah. hallelujah. Thank <laughs> you.